Lesson one, basic hip. Welcome to the jazz session. I'm Jason Crane. The jazz session is presented by AllAboutJazz.com, the web's leading source for jazz news, reviews, MP3 downloads, and more. The jazz session is also available for free at thejazzsession.com and in iTunes. Today's guest is vocalist Faye Victor. Her new album is called "The Free Song Suite," and、uh, you know me—I am given to hyperbole anyway. But I will tell you that there is no hyperbole involved when I say that although it is only September,、uh, this is my pick for record of the year.、Uh, this album is absolutely unbelievable, and I imagine. Uh, although as I record this intro, I haven't done the interview yet. I imagine that it's going to be impossible for me to keep、uh, the awe I feel about this record out of my voice. So、uh, deal with it, I say, and、uh, check this song out from the album. It's called Joe's Car. Is Faye Victor? Her new album is called "The Free Song Suite," and it's my extreme pleasure to welcome Faye to the show. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Jason. Thank you for for having me. 
I'd like to kind of uh, talk about the, the album as a as a whole, and then talk about some of the individual tunes, and also uh, fill in some background for folks about who you are. Okay. And so I thought maybe we mm-hmm. could start uh, the the album is divided. Um, into kind of three sections that are yes. titled rooms here. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about the structure of the album and how much of that structure was planned in advance and how much of it just evolved in the studio? Well, the, the, the outline of the, the parts, that was planned in advance. Like I sort of, and then these are sort of loose pieces um, that some of them we had uh, been working in the band for about a year or two, and some of them are brand new for the project. And I decided beforehand um, which ones I thought would work together in, in, in the parts, or let's say. We didn't want to call them parts, so we called them rooms. I thought that was a little bit better. And so, yeah, so that was definitely beforehand. And then we just let um, the music sort of unfold in the studio. And we were fortunate because we had a concert at BAM Cafe just a few days before we went into the studio, and we ran this, we did the whole, all the suite, the, the entire suite at that uh, concert. So, um, you, so you kind of had some guideposts and some determined pieces of music, and then how yeah. you were going to get from one to the other kind of happened as however it happened. Is that yes. accurate? Okay. Yes. So uh, we should definitely talk about uh, the other musicians who are on this uh, record with you uh, mm-hmm. that, that really make this music possible. Can you uh, mention who they are? Yes. Um, it's Anders Nilsson on the guitar, and there's Ken Filiano on bass. And Michael T.A. Thompson on the drums. And we've been together now, it's actually four and a half years. I started this group when I returned to New York. I was living in the Netherlands. I'm originally a New Yorker, but I lived in the Netherlands for a long time. And I returned in 2003. And uh, and I made the firm decision to form a band, not to go a different route and, uh, well, sit in and try to get gigs that way. I really made a decision to form a band and... Um, and I had one one group, and that didn't really work out. And then this one formed, and it's been great ever since. And we just—it's an interesting uh, combination of characters. <laughs> <laughs> well said. It's—it's <laughs> <laughs> um, it's really interesting band dynamic. We are all uh, pretty outspoken people. I think maybe Anders is the least, but I think that's by nature. That's a cultural thing more so than. And we managed to um, to be that way and, and, and have this strong individuality. And I, I tend to gravitate towards musicians that are very idio- idiosyncratic anyway. And yeah, and then um, put this music together. So it's just pretty amazing how it happens. <laughs> but why, it's great. Why yeah. was it important for you uh, when you came back uh, from Amsterdam to form mm-hmm. a band? Why, why was that? Why did that matter? When I when I lived in the Netherlands, um, and I have to say, Netherlands for me was a was really a I mean a woodshedding period. Certainly in the early, I guess the first four or five years I was there, um, I just was a time to immerse myself in a lot of things, and I played with a lot of different people. And at a certain point, that wasn't working for me anymore. I had to, for a certain point, I felt like I needed to develop uh, a group. I needed to develop a sound. I was thinking or feeling like I, that's what I uh, should aim to do. Didn't really know how I was going to do it. That's another story, but uh, that's what I wanted to do, and so I formed a, a quintet in the Netherlands, and that went really well, and we started, we worked a lot and um, worked around the country and worked a little bit outside as well, and um, and, and in the better venues like the BIM House and things like that, and started to see a certain uh, pattern emerge and, and, and realize that the music just develops much better that way, and certainly 
at that point, I was starting to write with my with my husband, and it just was much better for the music to have a steady group that rehearsed and always performed together. Yeah, it's it's kind of fun. As soon as I asked that question, I realized that you know if if you were a rock musician, I would never ask you what you know. So why did you guys decide to keep playing with the same people all the time? I mean, it's yeah. just it's a ridiculous question. Of you know, well, of course that's what we decided to do. But in jazz, actually, I mean, it's that's just not common anymore. There just aren't bands no. of people who stay together. Uh, certainly no, there are, but there no. are fewer of them, I should say. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, I feel like I have to, for, for the music to come across the way I, I need it to come across, it, it's necessary to have a, a group. And, and you know, it, it has its problems because it makes it difficult to play all the time and um, a little bit because they, well, everybody's busy. But I try to go for better gigs, and then usually there's a longer, you know, time, a longer arm, and then, it's, then it's, it has worked out okay. That was also something I learned when I lived in in Europe. You know that uh, that group that I developed in Europe. We only did sort of you know concert like venues and and festivals. And we um, and and I had a guitar player who and right now he's incredibly he's pretty famous in the Netherlands. By the time he was really up and coming, and if I didn't book him like six months in advance, uh, I can more or less forget it. <laughs> um, so I, I, you know, so I, I sort of learned that process, and and uh, but it was really musically, it was worth it. So it seems like it would have been impossible to make a record like this without yeah. a group of musicians who you trusted implicitly and and whose movements you could feel confident in. Yes. Uh, I'd like to talk about some of the individual uh, pieces on the record, if we can. Sure. There were there are many that that kind of spoke to me. One was uh, is Joe's car, which um, tells a story of someone who's you know kind of seen the world and then goes home again. And the people yeah. that she talks to, uh, I'm, I'm going to say she because it sounds autobiographical, but the the people <laughs> that the the narrator speaks to can't really relate to what that person has seen, and they begin talking about their friend Joe's car breaking down. Yeah. And yeah. so first of all, I guess I'll I'll ask. Uh, uh, is that autobiographical? Does that represent the experiences you had after you came back from Europe, for example? Yes, it is autobiographical, but it's actually on um, the line. Joe's car broke down again. Is from a conversation I had with another expat in the Netherlands, um, and I met this uh, woman at a at a luncheon, and we started talking. And she she recounted she had been living in the Netherlands at that point for about twenty years, but she recounted her first time returning home uh, after she toured all over Europe back in the seventies. And, and she went to, she was from Spanish Harlem, I think, and she went to the bar, and uh, she, she saw some people that she knew, and she started telling them where she was, and they, she said they just looked at her very strange and said, Joe's car, you know, started talking about Joe's car, broke down again, and looked away. And it just really stuck with me. And it, it is, it is, a, you know, very representative also of, of what, of my experience. So, um, so that's where it came from. Yeah, and yeah. I wonder if we uh, if we switch the travel aspect and, and uh-huh. replace it with the kind of music that you make. Does this song does it at all fit the reaction that people have to the kind of work that you do and the kind of music that you make, which is also in a way a very worldly and and kind of not what people would be used to. Yeah, well, <laughs> yes, a, a, a little bit. I mean, I don't think the song directly is related, to that, but I, I guess a little bit of that. I mean, I'm definitely definitely have my share of club owners not being thrilled with, uh, well, you know, thinking, okay, I'm a jazz singer, and then I show up and I'm doing something else, and I've had my share of that. And uh, so I guess there's a little bit of that in there, too. And, but, um, but no, it, it's really more about um, the experience of living abroad and, and coming home and uh, people not, 
Yeah, it's not really relating and 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 uh and not asking any questions either, which which I always found pretty interesting. Yeah, I lived uh, overseas too several times and and I always remember coming back and thinking that people really when they ask you what was it like? They don't yes. actually want you to answer with anything other than like, oh, it was it was cool, or oh, the food's really interesting, or or anything. They just yeah. they want that conversation to be over. They don't actually yeah. care what it was like, <laughs> particularly. No, no, <laughs> <laughs> no. It's, it's it's true, and I find it amazing because if I ask someone, I, I I really care. I mean, I'm I'm just I'm always curious to know how people's experiences are with things, uh, especially with travel, because it's such a it it can change the way you look at everything, actually. So um, it's always interesting how people react to living abroad or just being away for a long time, even within the same country. So, I, so when I ask the question, I actually mean it, but I think you're right. Yeah. <laughs> the uh, another uh, song on here is uh, "Gone Fishing," which mm-hmm. starts off as this very idyllic scene, you know, kind of out in the boat fishing. Although you you kind of get the sense that something might happen in the description uh, um, of June in the in the song, and then until somebody actually catches a fish. And then all of a sudden, the fish asks, "Could it be you that killed me?" And uh, I mean, is this the first vegetarian jazz song? What? It- <laughs> <laughs> well, it could be. I, was, I, I, I remember when, we, when my husband and I were writing it, we sort of said, "Oh my God, this might be like an anthem for vegetarians." <laughs> but, um, but the funny thing is, I'm not a vegetarian at all. No, no, it was just like a a scene that played out in my mind, sort of. Went to the lake with my uncle My uncle and crazy June Daylight creeped up and chased away That lingering moon Warm water Rods and reels, sturdy tools like steel. Dinner is coming soon with luck as a clover. After an hour or two, June and I began to moan. Soft and low with gritty. Frustrated tones Not a big Nibble inside Fishing rods and reels Sturdy tools like steel Actually, uh, I've I've done a bit of disservice here because you've mentioned him a couple times, and he is the co-writer of the record. Will you talk yes. about who your husband is, and let's give him some credit too. Yeah, Jochen van Dijk. Yeah, we we uh, we wrote all the music for this uh, record, except for the free improvised uh, passages, which which I'll I'll talk talk about um, a little later on. And we've been writing together, uh, I guess, since 2000. Yeah, so it's going on 10 years, and. Um, it's interesting. Um, we have an interesting writing dynamic. Everything starts tends to start with the lyrics first, and uh, um, and and the music sort of uh, works for that purpose. So it's it's an interesting relationship we have with with writing. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. 
Definitely, yeah. With this particular song, we we we, we talked about that. Yeah, this might be a little anthem. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm interested. Uh, I've been seems like I've been talking to a lot of people about this recently on the show. But the the idea in composition, or the the kind of split in composition between inspirational composition and kind of craft composition, that mm-hmm. you know, the waking up at night and writing it down versus like sitting at the piano for ten hours and seeing what happens. Yeah. And I wonder how how the things on this album came about. Are they a mix of those two styles? Yeah, I would say I would say it was a, it would be a mix. I mean, um, some of the material had been written actually for the record that preceded um, the Free Song Suite, which is called Cartwheels Through the Cosmos. And yeah, I would say each song. Uh, I have to think. I'm gonna get. I say Gone Fishing was written pretty quickly, um, uh, and then a song like like Dry was written just like sort of that. Just that that also kind of came. And Night Tide, I think, was also a song that took a little longer. Yeah, that was sort of thought out. And we re- wrote a song called Steal Away for a record I did in 2004 called Lazy Old Sun. And it was sort of a country-ish blues ballad. And uh, that song got a strong reaction from people, and I always loved singing that song and performing that song. And so we were trying to... Try something else in that vein, and, and that, and that. Uh, but it took a while. That one took a while. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, it's very hard to identify, you know, kind of my my favorite bits of this record because I I'm really pretty in love with the whole thing. But but one track that uh, really grabbed me from the very first time was the tune Bob and Weave, which. Uh, the, first of all, the music really um, it, it the music covers a lot of ground in the course of that one tune, and the lyrics really seem to speak to the kind of like fast pace and lack of connection that seems mm-hmm. to be kind of one of the hallmarks of the age that we're living in. Is that a is that a fair reading of the the lyrical content? Yeah, that's actually that's an interesting reading. I when I I wrote that, I remember I was sitting at a, a jam session not too long after I got, came to New York, and I wrote those uh, when I wrote those lyrics and. Yeah, it was kind of like a person that just never stopped running. You know, a person uh, just never took the time to um, see what's really around them. It was more about that. And then this child just sort of, uh, just kind of, oh, stops stops this uh, character. Yeah. And and, um, and the funny thing with Bob and Weave is it was, we had a very different arrangement for it, for, for cartwheels. And it just didn't work for me. It didn't work. And, 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 um, and then we came up with uh, this beginning with this uh, um, C-sharp D figure just that we sort of just drone on. And, uh, and that sort of started to really open it, open it up uh, a bit, yeah. I saw you there Trying to get past me Bob and Weave, Bob and Weave, Bob and Weave. You sprint over the grating and out on the avenue. I saw you Where you were going Child turn 
said she heard your footsteps. She heard your footsteps. We went through a couple of incarnations of, of rearranging that that particular one, and then this one we thought, okay, this is this is it, yeah, or at least this works. <laughs> <laughs> this is it for now, right? <laughs> for now, yeah, yeah. The, the, so much of this uh, this record really depends on it being kind of like very close mic'd. For example, I mean, there's places where where just breath alone is the mm-hmm. is the vocal instrument. Does that make this music challenging to perform live? No, I haven't. I, I haven't found it um, difficult at all. And I, I mean, so far I've been playing this music more or less in clubs. I mean, we're going to do our CD release in uh, Roulette um, in Soho, which is a great venue, sort of certainly for this type of music. And um, but normally, I mean, like I'd be perform a lot in the fifty-five bar and places like that. And so the sound system is not, you know, magnificent, and it's 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 totally fine. Yeah, yeah. And what uh, what's the reaction been like to this music as you've been performing it live? Um, for the most part, really good. Yeah, very strong, positive reactions, and and it's great because I have to say I have to give like really a shout out to the Fifty Five Bar because, um, which is a great place to play and a great place to hear music. And Quiva Lutz, when I first moved back, who was the owner at the time, she's not passed on. When I first came back to to New York, and I approached her, and I had another record out before, but. And for her it was a little risky, but she said, "You know, I like it, and I want to. I want to give you the opportunity to to play here." And she did, and she kept booking me, and we kept experimenting with this music. And the music that's on the Free Song Suite and the record that preceded it, well, a lot of it was developed there. And um, not everybody, you know, was always in love with it, but most people reacted very strongly and positively to it. And um, and that's great because you know you're just trying something you know as, as you do when you when you're writing music and you just and you're presenting it you're really just trying something to see what and, and seeing and hoping or well, not so much hoping but seeing the reaction that uh, that come that comes out and hope, and if you know if some things work you you keep going and if not you rethink it and and see uh, how you can change it or or let it go you know. Of course, there are freely improvised sections uh, of this music. Are there freely yes. improvised lyrical sections as well? A little bit in the ideal situation. That piece is actually, that's a free improvised piece, uh, with the exception of the lyrics. Um, but there, there's some of the lyrics that I, that I add to. But uh, musically, that's, free, that's a free improv uh, piece. And stemming is pretty much a free improv piece. With the exception of the um, the, the little piece that comes comes in and out, <laughs> 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 and uh, and the text that that that's uh, that's arranged, yeah. So how does that work when you have a determined text and you're going to mm-hmm. improvise the music and and just work the text in? How how do you navigate that? I just go with it. Yeah, yeah, I go with it. I mean. Um, I, I sort of have an idea of what kind of uh, statement I want to make. In other words, what kind of mood I want to evoke, and um, and I just go with it. Yeah, I, I honestly don't think too much um, about it when I okay if if the piece is a free improv piece. And, and so, in terms of setting that mood, if the piece is going to be freely improvised, do you mm-hmm. do you give some kind of direction, like you know this this should be kind of dark or you know or anything like that, or you just yes okay yeah like for example. Um, 
with ideal situation, we used to um, uh, the, the the duo with Michael T. A. Thompson and myself. We used to start that very differently. We used to start. I used to sort of whisper these really soft uh, whispers and and uh, and sort of singing the words, uh, singing the words, or playing with the words, but just but just more or less just breath. And um, and at a certain point, that just didn't. I don't know why. You know, it just didn't just didn't work for me anymore. So um, then we started. We were just sort of uh, just sort of came right in on it. But for this record, uh, because we were coming out of something else, then we sort. Of, then he he uh, did a little bit a little bit of an intro. So it's, it's different every time. Yeah. It sounds like uh, this record is more of a snapshot of this music at this yes. moment. That if you made it yes. again in a year or two years, it might be a completely different record. Yes. <laughs> yes, I, that's that, that's possible. And I think that's one of the things we aim for with the, with composing is um, because I love free improv and I love expressing myself that way. But I also like structure. And I like, and I think um, when you're sharing music with other people, some structure is great for for everybody. Everybody can have a sense of what's going on. I guess the experiment has been how to balance the two, uh, and then and then you're adding to the mix also lyrics because that that's another dy- dynamic. It's not just uh, well you have the structured pieces, the music, uh, and the improvised, but then the lyrics have to go in there too somehow. <laughs> Sometimes the, uh, in my opinion, the structure can make it easier for people to deal with the free sections. Exactly. Too. Yes. Yeah, yes. I remember. Uh, in fact, I think I just, I think I just mentioned this in another interview. But um, Steve Bernstein of uh, Sex Mob and mm-hmm. many other groups, but he uh, did an album of James Bond music, and he said that the idea for that album came about because they would play these long free things like the Knitting Factory, and then they would just play the James Bond theme. And as soon as they played the James Bond theme, everything that had preceded it and everything that followed it was okay with <laughs> with yeah. everybody because they had this one <laughs> little chunk that they could all sing along to. And then it was like, oh, okay, I, we all of this is great, you know. Yes. So it seems like that you're giving you're giving folks something to hold on to, so they feel safe when you kind of push them out into the deeper waters. Exactly. Yeah, you said that very well, by the way. Yeah, but that that's that's the idea, and I think um, because I, I've been to a lot of improvised music concerts that I've loved, and I, uh, especially when I lived in in Europe. And one thing that I noticed from time to time is sometimes there was not that much acknowledgement of the audience. And and not not maybe and not nothing. It's an intentional thing. Just just the way the music was presented. I care that there's an audience there, so I, I want. And, but at the same time, I want to be able to do you know the crazy things I want to do. So, <laughs> so it's 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 really been a lot of fun figuring out at the balance and, and the challenge as well. <laughs> Music. 
why did you decide to go to Europe, Faye? When I started singing, which, which for me was a little late, um, I, I started to work around New York a little bit, and I found out that, I realized pretty early on that it was hard to work here. I mean, really, really work. And I, and I felt very strongly that, I, that this is what I was going to do. I don't know why, but I, I felt that very strongly, and I, I thought that if I um, could live in Europe, it might be, I might, I'd have the opportunity to work more and just to develop more. And that turned out to be true. Yeah. I mean, did you, be very true. did you literally just, you know, pack a bag and land somewhere in Europe and see what <laughs> happened? <or? laughs> no, no, no. I, I, I befriended someone who, um, who just was a great help. And he, he happened to live, that's how I ended up in Amsterdam. He lived in Amsterdam. And, uh, he, he liked, he came to see me perform in New York. And at that time I was singing standards. And he really liked it, and he was a singer himself. And he just just helped me out, so I went over there and to visit, and we, and he also organized a tour, and that went really well. And um, and then I just fell in love with the city, so I decided, hey, this might be a good place to to move to. And at that time, I I, I could have used a break from New York as well. So it, it it just sort of all worked out. And after going back and forth for a couple of years, I, I settled there and. And and it true was you know in true it was true enough that it was I had I worked a lot and I was able to develop um, and and I had the time to develop um, my my music and develop my ear and just to listen and, and immerse myself in a lot of music and I my my husband is also an ethnomusicologist by by sort of by education and when we first got together one of the things we did a lot was just listen to a lot of music that that I actually I've never uh, been aware of. And that just changed everything. Did leaving familiar territory kind of make it easier for you to figure out who you were and yes. who you wanted to be as a musician? Yes, definitely. Can you kind of can you point to effects of the the kind of broader range of music that you listen to in what you're doing now as opposed to what you were doing, you know, ten years ago or whatever? Sure. Well, one big one big thing is blues. I worked in a few blues bands when I lived in Europe, uh, mostly in Germany. And that was a great education. Yeah, I learned um, and also educated myself about the blues. I'm, I still don't know that much. It, it, it's a huge uh, genre and an art in and of itself. But that really informs now what I do and, and the music that my husband and I write and, and also how I, how I sing. And then just a lot of classical music, um, you know, going out to hear, uh, going to the Concertgebouw in, uh, in Amsterdam, and, uh, you know, hearing a lot of people like Messian, who I come to love, but I didn't, didn't know, didn't know about. And people like Berio and, uh, um, immersing myself into Herbie Nichols and Thelonious Monk and, um, and Mingus and, and the whole jazz, idiosyncratic jazz canon, I call it. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, it, it, it changed everything. Yeah. And did the European scene, or particularly the scene in Amsterdam, mm-hmm. allow you more freedom to to try new things? Yes, I think musicians were um, open, and 
The interesting thing is that uh, um, sort of the American way of performing jazz, or let's say um, bebop and, and, and post-bop and hard-bop, um, there's a lot of work for that, but it's not, um, it's not really considered... In other words, uh, uh, unless you're really famous, no one's going to come and, 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 and watch a concert of you if you're doing that kind of music. Um, what's more valued and much more respected is if you either write your own music or you are doing something, either something new or, or, or have a fresh approach to things. The other thing is that the subsidized venues, which is a whole issue in Europe with subsidized, um, that the government gives money to, to certain venues and to put on, they put on sort of new and improvised music. Um, those venues uh, tend to get the, get all the press and tend to get um, the attention and also, but they're also very difficult venues for vocalists to to get into. And I, I was I was able to get into most of them at least in the in the Netherlands with my working uh, quintet at the time. Well, first of all, that sounds like dangerous socialism. We can't have that. The government the government supporting the arts. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. Know. We're going to have to end this interview now. I didn't realize <laughs> that's what I was dealing with. Yeah, yeah, it was, um, it, it was, it was really like that. I'd been, you know, it's terrible, terrible, terrible. I'd, <laughs> I'd, I'd so regret. I'd, well, I'd, uh, yes, I thank you for <laughs> suffering through that on our behalf. That's, uh, <laughs> that's very noble of you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, well, but, um, so the Dutch scene was, was great. And, and so that, that sort of also had a plan how to, how to do things. And, and it's interesting, you know, the more that I started to develop a, a I call it a sound, just, just to make it sim- simple, um, the easier it was to get those sorts of gigs. That's so yeah. interesting. That mm-hmm. that in many ways that's uh, I don't know if this is always true in the states, but to some degree that's almost the polar opposite of the way at least we generally picture it happening. I mean, so that yeah. the farther you diverged from the kind of accepted sound of jazz, the easier it was for you to get bookings, which is just wonderful. I mean, that's yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, I mean, for for the places I wanted to get booked on. <laughs> right. Sure. Sure. Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, to kind of uh, to kind of bring it full circle, we um, we started off talking about the tune uh, Joe's Car, and yeah. uh, which tells a story of uh, the difficulty of kind of reassimilation into your your home area once mm-hmm. you've been away. Well, after you'd experienced that eight years of uh, this kind of intensely creative period and a lot of freedom and state subsidized arts and uh, all that kind of stuff, and mm-hmm. then you came back to New York, what was that transition back to the New York scene like for you? It was. It was it was, it took a minute. It was it was a real transition. But I have to say I re, I really wanted to come back and uh, my husband and I both uh, uh wanted to come. It was a great transition. I mean, after I guess the first year and sort of just sort of figuring out once I I guess got a a band together that I was really happy with for me everything was it was fine. And I find here in a strange way the people are really supportive of each other here, which is just different. Uh, a little bit different than, than in Europe. I mean, I, I had great support, and I had people that really weren't, you know, liked what I did and gave me feedback. But for me, and that was a big thing because I, you know, feedback's important. Um, and I find here, being back in New York, I get a lot more feedback. You know, like a place doing a fifty-five bar, and even if somebody says, you know, something that I don't really like, I appreciate it because it it helps me. It, it shows me what I'm doing. So, um, and I find here, you know, we, we Americans, we're very outspoken. We, we're direct. We say things, um, and and I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm very appreciative of having that that way again. Yeah. So no, I'm, and 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 I've met so many great musicians, and 
I've also developed a lot since I've been back, yeah, because I came back, at least I had a clearer idea of of what I wanted to do and, and, and certainly what side of the music I wanted to um, check out some more. My guest is Faye Victor. The Faye Victor Ensemble's uh, new album on uh, Green Avenue Music is called The Free Song Suite, and uh, I, I think it's absolutely phenomenal recording, and uh, I'm really glad you made it, and I'm uh, even happier that you uh, took some time to talk about it with me. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much, Jason. <laughs> Tribal rights and passages Cultural differences flourished easily I never had a water prove it Never had a water prove it They never had a water prove it Sounds like the ideal situation me That's the Faye Victor Ensemble from Faye's album The Free Song Suite. You've been listening to The Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. The Jazz Session is presented by AllAboutJazz.com, the web's leading source for jazz news, reviews, MP3 downloads, and more. Every episode of The Jazz Session is also available for free at thejazzsession.com and in iTunes. The Jazz Session has an email mailing list, which is a great way to win free music. You can sign up at thejazzsession.com. If you're on Facebook, there's a group for the show, and I give away music there, too. The theme music for this show is by the Respect Sextet online at respectsextet.com. Thanks also to Dave Vrabel, who designed the Jazz Session's logo. This program is distributed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivative Works 3.0 United States license. Thank you so much for listening. Please support live jazz whenever and wherever you can, and come back next time for another conversation about jazz on The Jazz Session.
listening, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.